Well, typically, when I'm preaching on a Sunday morning, my, my hope and my prayer is that as we dig into God's word, that God would, would aliven your heart, would awaken a new truth into your life. You'd learn something new, and, and then God would take that and would uh, convict you or would encourage you or would equip you, would move you to some way in your life, bring about life change, to go and live your life differently because of what you learned about who Jesus is, about who God is. And that's still the same for this message here this morning. I would hope that that happens. Um, but this one's a little different. I also would hope, because I have a belief that we all have something on our heart that we feel God has already called us to do that we're not doing. Even if you're here as a guest this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just kind of checking out who Jesus is, uh, first of all, know that Meadowland is, is a safe place to ask questions about Jesus and, and to get to know who, who uh, Jesus is and, and what the church is all about. You're welcome in this place. Uh, but if you're just kind of investigating who Jesus is, uh, um, I, I, I firmly believe that, that Jesus is pursuing after each one of us. And I believe that there are probably questions in your heart, maybe steps of obedience, where maybe if you take these steps, you would come to know Jesus more that maybe you haven't taken yet. And so if you're a Christ follower, I believe there's steps of obedience that are on our heart that we haven't taken yet, that we've been in disobedience to God. And this morning's message is on obedience. And so I, my hope and my prayer would be that through this message, God, would, would equip you, would empower you, would motivate you to take the step of obedience that he's already been speaking into your life. That he's already been saying, hey, here's what I want you to be doing. You, you know this. I've, I've spoken it to you clearly. I hope that we'd be able to, as a church, encourage one another and lift each other up in prayer and take those steps of obedience. Uh, hope, that's my prayer for my life, that I'd be able to continue to take those steps of obedience in my life. So we have to ask this question of, of who do you obey and why do you obey them? I mean, there's really a whole list of people in our lives that we come in contact with that we obey and, and for different reasons. Um, something I can think of off the top of my head here is um, a spouse. Maybe you obey uh, the, the recommendations or, or the requests of, of a spouse. And if you ask the why, uh, I'll give you a real simple reason why. A happy wife, happy life. So, uh, yes, I, I, I try at times to obey uh, the requests of, of my wife. Uh, parents. Again, there comes a point in age where maybe this doesn't apply as much, but either in our past or in our present, there's a place where we obey our parents. And if you ask the why, I don't know if this is your why, but one of the whys you're going to look at as you look through the Ten Commandments to get to honor your mother and your father, it's the first one that has a promise tacked onto it. That may lead to a long life. And so there's something attached to obeying God through honoring our parents that can lead to a long life. Maybe you, honor, maybe you obey police because they have authority to inflict consequences for our actions. Sometimes I think we, we do things that would be considered disobedient because we know we, we can get away with it. We're not going to get caught. There's no one there to inflict the consequences of our decisions. Uh, but sometimes we obey the police because we don't want to experience the consequences of those actions. If you need any proof, why, why do we all slow down when we're driving in front of or behind a cop? It's because, oh, they can get me for something. And so we obey the traffic laws. Maybe there's a teacher or a trainer or a mentor in your life who you obey. You listen to their counsel. If they say, do this, you do it. Even if you're not even sure why yet, because you know that they uh, want to grow you up and they want to train you to do what they can do. And so you listen, you obey out of respect and a desire to learn. Maybe you obey your boss simply because they, they, they either sign your paycheck or they have authority over your paycheck and, and you've really kind of come to like your paycheck, and so you, you want to continue in receiving that paycheck, and so you obey the requests and commands of your boss. 
Well, it's more one of the, the, the biggest thing we're talking about as far as who to obey is that we would obey God. That we would obey Him because He is our loving Creator who knows best. That's, that's what I believe. I, I believe God is our loving Creator and that He knows what's best for us and He desires what's best for us. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because see, we really, obedience needs to begin with the person of God, of who we believe Him to be. Because that, that's, that's where disobedience begins. If you go back to the garden in, in the early chapters of Genesis, where basically God's put Adam and Eve in the garden and says, don't eat of this one tree. And then all of a sudden, they're at that tree and there's a serpent saying, did God really say? Calling them to question. Do you, do you really believe this is what God said? And they give them that temptation and, and they sin and they go against the, the word of God because they let that doubt creep in of, ah, maybe I don't believe. So we need to come to this place of, what does God say? Did God really say this? Is this really who God is? And so we need to look at the person of God. And I believe that God is a good and loving God. Romans 8.28 teaches teach us this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God is working things for our good. He's working things for our good. Do you believe that? Because if you do, the next time you feel, you come across a scripture, you hear God speaking to your life to take a step of obedience, and you're like, ah, this is uncomfortable. I don't like, I'm not sure about this. If we believe that God is working all things for our good, it makes it that much easier to obey. So what do we believe about God? If you're not a follower of Christ here this morning, um, and this, this is, uh, I think, just, Something as Christians we need to acknowledge and we need to remember. Uh, we can't expect you to obey the word of God. In the same way that you, you wouldn't expect someone of a different religion to say, okay, here, here's my, uh, um, what I believe to be true. I expect you to live according to that. I think sometimes uh, we, we have friends who maybe don't know Jesus and we expect, hey, you need, I need to help you get your life cleaned up first so I can take you to Jesus. You know, you're not going to mom that way. We need to get you cleaned up first. It's kind of like one of those things. You're not going to Jesus that way. We need to get your life all cleaned up. It's out of love, but it's misdirected because that's not our job. We can't even get ourselves cleaned up before we go to Jesus. We're broken, hurting people. So for those who don't know Christ, who are followers of Christ, I'd encourage you to start with the person of Jesus. And for those who do know Christ and know people who don't know Christ, start with Jesus with them. Introduce them to Jesus. And then he brings about the life change in their lives. And so if you're not a follower of Christ here this morning, I would challenge you to maybe just try this. Just try to obey some of the things that God calls us to do. If you're not sure what some of those are, we're not going to get all the specific ones because there's many, but we can look in God's Word. We can start reading the Bible to see what God calls us to do. We can very you know, easily we can start in Deuteronomy 6.5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. They even see when Jesus interacts with that, he sums up the whole law in, in, in loving God and then in loving others. But I would encourage you uh, to just to try to obey the things that you, that you believe God it calls us to do, even if you're not a follower of Christ, and see if it does not go well with you. See if it's not a blessing in your life. When, when I do premarital counseling, um, I, I can be working with a, a couple who are non-Christians, and um, honestly, I, 
I believe that, hey, if you're asking me to do your wedding, in some aspect, you're looking for God's perspective on this. And so even, you know, if they're not followers of Christ, I'll still share them with them God's heart on different things like finances, like sex, like communication, like relationships, family dynamics. And we see, what does God's word have to say about that? And say, honestly, I would encourage them to try to follow God's word. And to obey it, because it'll go well for you. It'll be a blessing on your life. God knows what is best for you and desires good things for you. But here's the caution I need to put out there. If you're going to do this, do it with the purpose of getting to know God. Getting, do it with the purpose of getting to know who he is and what he's about. Because if we don't, we have, we have danger of winding up like the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders in the days when Jesus walked the earth. They were the religious leaders that Jesus called uh, uh, whitewashed tombs. Basically saying, you look awesome on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. Their goal was to follow the written law of God, to obey God's commands. But they missed out on God in the process. There was no spirit of obedience, simply the act of obedience. I'm just going to do these things, but they, they missed out on who God is, and so that when Jesus came, and it was right before them, they saw him as an enemy of God, instead of for who he was, the Messiah, the chosen one. See, it is possible to do the work of God without obeying the will of God. Because God desires relationship, desires that we would know him and be known by him. So wherever you are in your walk with Christ, let's just consider this, this step of obedience and see well, what would it do in our life if, if we say, you know what, I'll, I'll obey the commands of God. Well, first of all, obedience can be a challenge. It, it really can be a challenge because we want to do what we want to do. We are a stubborn people. My family has it down to a science. We've actually made a, a ranked board of, okay, my dad is at the top and he's about to be dethroned by my two-year-old. We're actually going to have a passing of the torch ceremony to say she is now the most stubborn. And I'm trying to, in that mist, trying to usurp the, the throne and, and uh, you know, jump up there as the most stubborn in the family, um, just out of, uh, out of sheer uh, preservation, you know, <laughs> instead of my, my daughter being the most stubborn. But we have it down to a science. We want to do what we want to do. Sometimes we, in this heart of obedience, we say, I'll only obey as long, if I absolutely have to, I'll obey. I'll do it begrudgingly. Because we only want to do what we want to do. Maybe we say, okay, if I want to do it, I'll obey the things I want to do, but the things over here that get tough or challenging, I just really don't want to do, I'm not going to do those. See, my, my heart would be that we can move to a place where we can fully obey the Word of God, because of who He is in our life. In the same way, think of a mentor, think of a teacher, think of a parent in your life who you would obey because of who they are and the role they play in your life. Let us put God in that position to say, all right, because of who you are, God, because you are worthy, I will obey you in these ways. Obedience can be a challenge because we don't like being told what to do. If you tell me to do something, even if I wanted to do it, I kind of want to do it less now that you told me to do it. I can, be someone, I can be on my way to go do something. Say, hey, Steve, why don't you go do that? Uh, I'll do it later. Just because I'm, I'm told what to do, it, it, you know, do you ever experience that? You ever feel that way? Well, if I can do it, you know, I'll be about, you know, I'm on my honey-do list, and Sarah will say, hey, did you take care of that thing yet? And I could have had in my mind, oh, I'm going to do that this afternoon, but now I don't want to do it because I feel like she's told me to do it. And that's my own sin. That's my own issue i, I got to work through. But it just shows how obedience can be a challenge. Our pride gets in the way of our blessing. If I were to simply go and knock out whatever it was that she was asking me about, I guarantee you, happy wife, happy life. 
there would be a blessing that would come through that. Obedience can be a challenge because we don't always trust the one to be obeyed. We don't always trust that they have our best interest in mind. We don't always trust that they have enough knowledge or control of a situation over an issue to know what, what the right way to go is. And this applies to God too. Do we trust God? Some of us have come in here this morning and we have some past experiences that have left us at a place where we just don't trust God. God, how could you allow this to happen? How, I, I don't get this. Here's something in my past. God, I, I'm sorry, I just can't trust you. I would encourage you to, to lean into God and to unpack that with him. Help me to see, God, how you are still a good and loving God in the midst of this, because he is. And even when we can't see it, uh, uh, God is working all things for our good. Look to the story of Abraham, which we're going to unpack here in a minute, to see a little bit about how we can trust in God's goodness. You see, obedience can be a blessing. When we obey, it can bring about our benefit and our well-being. Obedience can lead to our well-being. Tell someone things like, don't touch that, it's hot. Don't lick that, it's dirty. Don't eat that, I don't know what it is. Those are all from personal experience in my home. Those are kind of phrases you hear on a, on a regular basis. And when Sarah's not saying them to me, I'm saying them to the kids. And... Um, it can lead to our well-being. Stay away from that. That's dangerous. That's going to hurt you. That's going to bring about your pain or your suffering. Obedience can lead to our growth and development. Obeying a mentor or a trainer in our life, we learn new things. When we listen to those who want to teach us and instruct us. We develop our skills greater where we're able to overcome greater challenges and greater trials in the future because of how we've grown through our obedience of those who have gone before us. Obedience can be a blessing, but doesn't mean it's always easy. Doesn't mean it's always easy. This one we, we really need to take home. And we're, we're going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to look at Abraham's strange story of obedience. It may seem kind of strange when we, dig, when we jump into it, and you'll see why. But uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, open up to Genesis chapter 22. If you need a Bible, you can open the ones in front of you. Um, I've been told that if you're following along in the Bibles and the pews, that doesn't always match what's on the screen. My apologies for that. We're looking into that to see where that hiccup has happened so we can resolve that. Um, but grab one of those Bibles. If you need one, take one of these home, make it your own. And um, you know, if you know someone that needs one, take it home for them. If you want to go digital, if you have a smartphone or a tablet, uh, we have free Wi-Fi in the building just for that purpose. Hop on, online and, and, and get a, a Bible app and uh, get the Word of God in front of you. It'll be on the screen as well. Uh, but before we get there, um, you know, we're in the middle of this worthy series. We're in week two. And really the whole heart of this series is acknowledging that because of who God is, that should have an influence on who we are and how we live our life. See, Abraham believed that God was God. And so it begins with that. It begins with this belief. Okay, I believe that God is God. Romans 4, 3, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So because of who Abraham believed God to be, it affected every aspect of his life, so much so that it was counted to him as righteousness. He was seen as right because of God in his life. Because of who God was and because of who God is, Abraham obeyed. And this leads to blessings. It's counted as righteousness, not necessarily ease, as we're going to see in the story. Abraham's obedience brought about blessings in his life. The same is true for us today. Do you believe Jesus to be God? Jesus claimed to be God by his actions and deeds and, and what he did. 
And I believe he proved it. Out of all those who've come and gone, who've claimed to be God, Jesus' tomb is the one that's empty. His, his grave is the one that couldn't hold him as he overcame death. And I believe we can believe this as we look at the testimony of those who witnessed it, who witnessed the risen Jesus. And when they came under persecution for what they claimed to be true, they didn't back down as you would for a lie, but they held strong. They were willing to lay down their lives for what they believed to be true. As we look at the lives of the disciples and, and, and the early Christians who believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's why I believe. I think there's a testimony. I think it's, it, it takes more faith to believe otherwise. As you look into the evidence, you see that Jesus lived, died, rose again. That he is God. And so as, as we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and say, I believe that you are God, it, it's attributed to us as righteousness. We are seen as right in the eyes of God. And we say, God, I, I know I'm a sinner, which means I've just missed the mark of your will in small ways or in big ways. In some way, I've missed the mark. But I trust in Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. When we do that, our sins are forgiven. They're paid for by Jesus. And when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And what that means is before he looks at us, we have sin, and that separates us from God because our God is a holy and perfect God. But because of the work of Jesus in our lives, when God looks at us, when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he sees Jesus who is perfect and holy and righteous. And we can be in relationship with God both here and in heaven. And so because of who we believe God to be, that should affect every aspect of our life. Christian life is one of, of life change. Well, let's jump in the text here, Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to just start just a little bit, and then we're going to kind of look at the, the context of where this comes in. So sometime later, God tested Abraham. Sometime later. The same way, if you ever hear uh, the word therefore, okay, what's the therefore, therefore? There must be something that came before. If you start a verse and it says sometime later, you should probably figure out, okay, I'm, I'm in the middle of a story. So what happened before you can turn back some pages and read well here's some of what's happened in the life of abraham uh, god, he's had his name changed from abram to abraham his wife was sarai to sarah god uh, changed her name as he uh, called them to, to, to obey him and made a covenant a promise with abraham he promised that there would be a great nation from his line. Uh, he was old when he received this promise. His wife was old. They, they didn't have any kids. And, and also God says, um, I will make a great nation out of you. Uh, there'll be offspring. There'll be land for your offspring. There's a promise of a great name that all nations will be blessed through, the, the, through your line. You'll be the father of many nations. So all of a sudden, uh, his wife, Sarah, is like, okay, well, God made this promise that we're going to have a, a, a nation come through our offspring, but I'm too old to have kids, so hey, um, let, let's make God's promise happen, and, and you can take my maidservant, Hagar, and get her pregnant until she buries you a son, and then you have the line through her, and then we fulfill God's promises, and that's what she did, and Hagar had a son, and they named him Ishmael, and God's like, no, I, I wasn't kidding, you will have a, a son with, with your wife, Sarah, and uh, and that's what happens, even though they're well along uh, in their years, in their uh, 80s or 90s, somewhere about there. And, and so Sarah gives birth to Isaac. And it comes to a point where Ishmael mocks Isaac and, and, and basically uh, works to a place where, where uh, Hagar and Ishmael are sent off. They're sent away. And Abraham and Sarah and Isaac remain. And Abraham's gone through all kinds of trials in his life up until this point. There's been relocation where God has called him to go into a new land. He goes from Ur into Hebron. And 
He left this land out of obedience to God. He's experienced sorrow and loss as he says goodbye to his family. And he experiences the loss of his father on the journey. He's experienced economic collapse, a famine so great that he's, he's forced to go into Egypt to try to find a place where there is food, where there is a means of survival. He's experienced uh, the stress and the weight of personal failure after he deceived a king. Basically, he comes to a land. In, in this land, the king's like, hey, that's an attractive woman. I'll take her as my own. Oh, she's got a husband? Okay, just kill him, and now I can have her. And he was afraid that that would happen to them. He's like, hey, this is my wife Sarah, and she's an attractive lady, and, and he's going to want her, and I don't want to you know, get killed. And so we'll say, that's my sister. And so he lied, and all of a sudden, the, 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 the lie is uncovered and creates all these issues, and God works in that, that issue and protects them and so Abraham and Sarah are allowed to continue on their journey but he experiences failure he experiences success as he becomes a wealthy man with all kinds of flocks and servants and and people that are with him under his authority he experiences the strain of family dynamics uh, he's got a nephew, Lot, uh, who he's very close with, and it comes to a point where both of their um, kind of uh, estates have become too large to be supported by, by the immediate land that they're on, and they part ways to, to keep the peace, and that's kind of the, the heart behind that. So as we look at all that Abraham has gone through, I, I think we can find some way or another to connect in with the story of Abraham. He was successful in obedience in some of these, op- some of these moments, and in some he wasn't. But even after his failures, he continued to follow and obey God. And see, that's the beautiful thing about obedience. You, you, you could have, someone could have explained to you who God was and who Jesus was at, at a young point in your life. You could have said, that's great, but I don't want that. You could have ran from God your entire life until this very moment today and say, hey, today I want to obey God. And you can do that today. And at a moment's notice, you can shift from disobedience to obedience. And so even after Abraham's disobedience, those points in his life, he could Come back to a place of obedience and following God. So this next trial we're going to hear may be a little unrelatable at first, but just kind of stick with me as we see really what God is doing here. I think we'll be able uh, uh, to connect in with Abraham's story. So Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Take note of that response. We're going to hit on that a little bit later. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Okay, so no question about who he's talking about. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, the the son of promise here. And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Wait, what, what did God just say? Sacrifice my son? This, this is unprecedented. God, God had, up until this point in history, he never uh, requested a human sacrifice. He never commanded anyone to do that. This is unparalleled. How, how do we know that Abraham's not just some nut job who's saying, yeah, God told me to go kill my son? Well, it's because Abraham has experienced the voice of God before. He knew the voice of God. When, we, when you look through the pages of Scripture, and you see these people who had these, these experiences with God. I think sometimes we desire for God to work that way in our life. God, send an angel to speak on your behalf into my life so I know what to do in this situation. We need to acknowledge that this is a glimpse of all the people in history who have walked with God. And so once it's going to say this is the exception, not the rule. Before it's, we have God who's spoken to us in other ways through his word, the Bible. We have recorded, written down, and so we say, okay, God has spoken to me. 
And I, I can read his word. And I can, I can see what he has for me and for my life. So Abraham wasn't just some nut, but he was someone who had heard the voice of God before. He was familiar with it, like a child knows the voice of their parent, like a parent knows the voice of their child. God is our Father in heaven. Are we familiar with his voice? When we hear it, how do we respond? Because the obedience isn't just the act of doing, but it's hearing and then doing. First, we need to hear, what is it that I'm being called to do? And then take that step of obedience and go and do it. So, so what does Abraham do? God just had this wild command, go and sacrifice your son at this place that I'll show you. Did he freak out? Did he say, God, no, you're wrong. You're nuts. I, I, I don't know what I do. No way would I do this. Did he attest? Did he say, there's got to be a different way? This is, this is a trick, Right? Well, let's see what he does. Genesis 22, verse 3. Early, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. You say, well, hang on, this doesn't make sense. So he's just going to go and, and, and sacrifice his son? He doesn't have any questions about this? See, we've got to remember, th- these are still real people. This isn't some, uh, you know, person, all right, well, God said that. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to kill my son. See you later. Who wants to come? You know, it's, he may say kill you too. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> he's a real person. I think he's wrestling with this. But in the, in the story, the context, we see a bit about what Abraham believes to be true. We see that, that Abraham believes that, that, that God wouldn't endanger his blessing. He wouldn't call him to obedience in a way that would endanger the blessing. So basically, God's saying, kill your son, and I've promised to make a nation through you, even though you and your wife are old. Well, how do you make a nation if you call me to kill my son? God, Abraham believed that he could obey God and that God would still work in the midst of that blessing. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And when he had received the promises, uh, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So not only did Abraham believe God was who he said he was, that he was the almighty God, did he believe that he had his best in mind. He he believed that he would make good on his promise. But he believed that he had the ability to bring the dead back to life. And even if he was going to call him to to kill his son, he believed that he would have his son brought back to him. Well, how do we know that? Look look at the end of that passage of verse 5. Stay here with the donkey, speaking to his servants. Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. As we look at the rest of the text and the other accounts in the New Testament that speak about this account with Abraham and his, his faithfulness to God, I think he's being genuine here. I think he's genuinely saying, I believe we're going to go, we're going to worship, and we're going to come back. 
I don't know how it's going to happen because God has called me to sacrifice my son. I'm going to obey him in that. But I believe God is a God who can raise the dead. And this is a sacrifice, not just a you know, kill my son and be done, but it would be a burnt sacrifice where if you go to ashes, that he believes that God could raise the dead. And he'd be right in that. See, it's not our role to fulfill God's promises. It's our God, or I'm sorry, it's our role to obey his commands. It's not our role to fulfill God's promises, but it's our role to obey God's commands. See, if he would have said, you know what, God said he's going to give us a nation through Isaac, so I'm not going to obey. I'll disobey because we need to fulfill God's promises and we need to keep Isaac alive. But he says, instead he says, okay, I believe that God can do this, and so he obeys him. That's ours to obey. They'd already tried that before, right? God had made a promise of a nation, so okay, we'll go sleep with Hagar. So we can get this promise going. But we see how that worked out. No, it's going to be through you and Sarah. Abraham didn't delay in his obedience. Verse 3 says, Early the next morning he got up and he loaded the donkey. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Abraham very clearly knew the word of God it had called him to go do this, and so he gets up and he prepares to do it, and he sets out to go and do it. There's probably, for most of us here, something that God has already said to us through his word or through our experiences where the Holy Spirit came into our lives and, 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 and a prompting from him that we felt, hey, this is what we should go and do. There's probably something that we've already been thinking about as we've been talking here this morning. Yeah, here's something I need to obey God in. But we've delayed for whatever reason for days, weeks, months, years. But delayed obedience is disobedience. It's like ice forming on a lake. If the water is moving, if there's motion, if we're moving forward, the ice won't form around you. But if you stand still and let the waters calm, all of a sudden a thin layer of ice, which will be easily moved and easily broken through, but if you stop and stand still, that thin layer of ice will form across the top. And the longer we stand still, the longer... There's less motion in the water the thicker that ice becomes. So eventually you can even drive a vehicle over the ice that's so thick it can hold up all that weight. And it's that much harder to move through. We would have to break through the ice in order to again come to a place of motion. So Abraham doesn't stand around. He, he goes to action. So what commands of God have we been delaying? Because the, the Christian life is one of life change. Maybe you're, you're uh, a new follower of Christ, or maybe even walking with Christ for a long time, I would ask, have you been baptized? I think there's significance in baptism because it is one of those first steps of obedience. And in our culture today, it is weird to be baptized in the sense of, you want me to get up in front of other people and get in this trough of water here at Meadowland. We fill a horse trough right here on the side. You want me to get in this trough of water, go under the water, come back up, everybody cheers, and then that's it, right? That's weird. If you just look at it in that sense. But when you understand that it's an act of obedience where God has said to go and be baptized, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all the things you've heard me say. When we see it's an act of obedience, both as a church uh, offering up the opportunity and, and seeking to, to baptize those who are followers of Christ and to share Jesus with them, with those who don't know him. But also, it's an act of obedience for those who are being baptized. Maybe that's something you've been delaying. You've never been baptized before. If that's you, I encourage you to fill out your communication card, put on there your name and a way to get in touch with you and say, hey, I need to be baptized. And we'll do it. We'll do it next week if you want. 
We'll get you baptized. We'll fill the trough. What other areas of, of uh, known sin have you allowed to sit in your life because you've had delayed obedience? We need to repent of that. In what ways are you following the world's ways over God's? Then it's another area where we see delayed obedience. Because it's, it's easy to kind of hide in the crowd. If the world is going to the left and God's saying go right, well, if we kind of hide in with everybody, all right, it's not a big deal that I'm not obeying right now. We feel secure in that. We need to be able to say, God, I trust that your way is for my good. And even though it may not be easy, I believe that's what you've said. I can see it in your word. Abraham prepared to obey. He loaded up the donkey, put wood on it, and got set for the journey. We see later in the text that when they went up to the place where he was going to sacrifice his son, that he carried the knife and the fire, and his son carried the wood. There was preparation behind this journey. He had the servants with him, and it's okay, now you wait here, we're going up. He set his mind to it. Why is this significant? Well, I think when we don't set our mind to obedience, when we don't prepare ourselves for obedience, all it takes is a small roadblock to get us off track, right? If there is something that you are set out to do, hey, God's called me to go and do this in my life, so I'm going to do it, and all of a sudden you hit a road bump. Oh, no, that road bump is God saying, I don't need to do it. No, God's speaking through that road bump. But if we're prepared, that's a road bump. Fix it and get over it and obey. Imagine if, if Abraham got to that point uh, of the mountain, it's like, hey, we forgot the wood. I guess, oh, no, that's God saying you don't have to do this because there's no wood here. If God really wanted me to obey, he'd bring the wood here. God wants you to obey, so go load up the donkey and prepare for this and go do it. And that's what Abraham does. He prepares so that any row bumps along the way will not turn him away from what he set his mind to, but he will obey no matter how difficult. Abraham sought the approval of God over that of others. Abraham sought the approval of God, not man. Imagine what his wife would have said. Yeah, she's going to obey God. Taking a, oh, back in seven days, he's going to go sacrifice our son. He didn't tell his servants either. We're going to see that he left them behind and said, all right, come with me, Isaac. Imagine with the neighbors, the community, those that, that know, okay, well, this is Abraham. He says he's, he's the people of God and he's killing his son. That's what all the other religions are doing. That's all the pagan religions are doing. He's claiming to be the one, following the one true God. I think sometimes when we obey God, it feels as if to obey God would jeopardize our hopes and our dreams. It feels like to obey God would jeopardize other things that we believe God would want for us in our lives. Maybe there's a, a situation at work where it's a, a challenge to your integrity. So something's come up and you can either be honest and tell the truth or you can, you can cover it up and lie about it. Maybe you're afraid, hey, if, if, I, if I reveal this, maybe it's uh, uh, your own mistake and, and you want to lie about it so you don't, you think about fired if you tell the truth or, or maybe you think it's someone else's mistake and you'll just get fired for being the one who pointed it out. He said, well, hang on, God wants me to, to support my family. And so I'm going to obey him in that by lying about this so I can keep, have my, keep having my job. Well, that was a robot. We should have been prepared for that. We, we, we did say, I, I, I'll set aside my job for obeying God. And so if obeying God means it leads, leaves me in a place where I don't have a job, I trust that God is working all things for my good. 
So he'll lead me to a different job, perhaps even a better one. Eric may not even go to that point. Maybe just by standing on integrity and obeying God through that, he works in the situation in a completely different way. Maybe we turn down a higher paying job because it's going to take us away from the people of God on, on Sunday mornings. I'm not saying there's anything special about a Sunday morning. I'm saying there's something special about the people of God gathering together, building one another up, praying for one another, praying with one another, and then going out into the world and sharing the good news of Jesus. In our culture, we do that on Sunday morning, just so happens. So maybe you have to turn down a better job or high-paying job because you want to obey God and the ability to meet together with the body of Christ. But see, here's the thing. On one hand, some of our, our dreams or hopes may not be in line fully with what God is calling us to. But maybe it's a not yet issue as well. It's something God will lead us to, but just not yet at this point in your life. Every time I felt like, God, here's where I'm going, and he's calling me over here, and I say, but this looks really fun over here. I really like this over here. All right, but you're calling me over here. Every time I followed him in that and felt like I was jeopardizing a little piece of a dream or a hope that I had, every time I get to where God is taking me, I stop and look over there, I'm like, well, here's much better than there. Where God has led me far surpassed any of my other hopes or dreams. And so if you feel like that's something you might lose in, in obeying God, know that God is working all things for your good. Let's go back to the text here. Genesis 22, verse 6. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He's, at, he's, he's obeying God. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. you got to imagine that's probably both the, the sweetest sound for Abraham to hear. Okay, you know, the, God's stepping in last minute. Okay, there, there was something else. That's also the sweetest sound for God to hear, for his servant to say, here I am. A sense of, what do you want? I'll follow. I'll obey. You called me to sacrifice my son, and I, I didn't get it, but I believe you're God, and I believe that, that you can raise him from the dead. I've had three days of travel here thinking through this. But I believe you're God, and I believe you can raise him from the dead. I'm sure it kept going over and over in his mind. <coughs> Yet he replies, here I am. What do you have for me, God? I'll follow. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Like when a father calls his son, Abraham responds as a son with here I am. Imagine how awesome I'd be parents if, if your kids responded that way. Hey, come here. Here I am. What can I do for you, mom? What can I do for you, dad? I mean, it'd be amazing. I think that, that's what we can seek in our own life and our relationship to God. That we can obey God with that. Here I am. What do you got for me? Again, there's no promise that it's going to be easy. 
But there's a promise of a blessing that's for our good. Like matter obeys gravity, let us obey God. Ten times if I drop an apple from the top of the stage, it's going to fall. It's going to obey the laws of gravity. Let us in the same way follow suit as the bride of Christ, as the church, as followers of Jesus, and live a life of obedience to where God says, hey, Steve, here I am. What do you need? And Abraham didn't withhold anything from God. Sometimes the very gift from God can become more important than the one who gave it. Maybe that's what was happening here. Maybe Isaac was becoming more important in the life of Abraham and Sarah than God himself. Maybe that's why God tests. I don't know. I'm just inferring it could be. It's not necessarily what's being said here. It's just that it doesn't clarify. But we can ask ourselves, what, what gift from God, what blessing from God are we placing before God? One way to, to find out what, what you're putting first in your life is to say, what do you live for? I'm living for my family. I want to make sure they're cared for and provided for, make sure they're loved. That's a noble thing. It's a beautiful thing. I think that's a God-honoring thing as long as that's second to God. If we're putting our family before God, maybe we need to pull an Abraham and, and sacrifice our family to God first. And that doesn't mean forsaking our family because as we follow God, as we obey God, we see he calls us as husbands to love our, our wives as Christ loved the church. Christ laid his life down for the church. He calls wives to, to respect their husbands. And we see uh, to submit to one another uh, a mutual love for Christ. See, children, you know, obey your parents. Parents, do not exasperate your children. We see that as we obey God, as we put God first, he knows what's good for us, and he has good things worked out for us, and so he calls us to live our, our life uh, and live our, to, to live within our families in a way that brings about our good. So it's not counterintuitive to say, I'm going to put my family second to God. Because God calls me to love my family. It's not counterintuitive to say, I'm going to put my job, my, my anything, whatever you want to put in there, my hobbies, my interests, my goals, my dreams, those all need to be second compared to God. What are you placing before God? Abraham looked up. This is verse 13. Let's finish out the story. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. All nations will be blessed through Abraham's obedience. And we have been. In Jesus, God offered up his son, his son as a sacrifice, to take the place for our sins. And so we can ask this question of ourselves, what stands before God in our lives? We're not called to comfort. We're not called to ease. We're not called to success. We're called to obedience. So who do you believe God to be? And do you believe he's working all things for your good? Because if you do, God is worthy, and that should affect how we live. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we just come before you right now. Uh, just ask that you would reveal to us, if you haven't already, Father, what are some ways that we've maybe been delaying obedience? 
or, or maybe some new ways of, of obedience that, that we've um, realized, Father, either by digging into your word or just um, through unpacking your word here this morning. Whatever comes to mind for us, Father, help us to take that step of obedience, to trust that you have our, our good in mind, to trust that you want to work things out for our betterment, to trust that you are God and, and you can do amazing things. So even when it gets difficult to obey, even if we're not sure how things are going to work out or how they could uh, possibly uh, uh, come uh, to a place that brings about um, our good, like Abraham sacrificing his son, that we would still be able to obey to say, God, you are first in our life. And as we experience those blessings, Father, I pray there be a blessing upon one another as well and upon this community. Now send us out from this place to go and, and live for you in obedience. In your name, amen.